At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of your Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again. Sadly, it's a Silver Linings edition of the HHC, but it's a very quick turnaround because we're going to have to preview another game that comes up tonight. Hornets of night two of a back-to-back against the Indiana Pacers. It'll be the third and final meeting between these two teams, and it'll be the tiebreaker for it. We'll talk about that game. We'll also talk about LaMelo Ball winning Rookie of the Month yet again. Could it be foreshadowing for the possibility of him winning Rookie of the Year as well? And, of course, we'll break down the loss for the Hornets, a disappointing one, 111-289 to the Brooklyn Nets. To help us do all these things, it's a Two Sams edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Purley, coordinator of digital media content for the Hornets. You see his fine work on Hornets.com all the time, joins us again here on the HHC. Sam, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, as always. It is a pleasure and a privilege, as I like to say, to have you with us. A Hornets fell 111-89. to This one was not close. It was put out of reach early by a very hot Brooklyn team or by a very not Hornets team. Which do you think was the main culprit in quarter number one? Brooklyn shooting so well or Charlotte shooting as bad as they have in a couple of seasons, quite honestly? I think it was more on the Hornets offensive side. I just think you look at this team, you score 11 points and not getting good shots, not even really turning the ball over. You know, some of the, Sometimes you are getting good shots and they're just not going in. I think at some point when you're getting good looks and they're just not dropping, that's going to eventually trickle over defensively. And you saw the Nets were also not only making their shots, but also making tough contested shots. And I think it just kind of snowballed. So maybe a combination of the two. I just think it was just one of those nights you just throw your hands up. Some of the guys said it afterwards and it's just, just one of those nights shots don't fall and only last so long in the NBA when you don't have your shots falling before it trickles over onto the defensive end. So obviously a, a tough showing last night in Brooklyn. I think James Borrego would agree with you. Yeah, obviously you know, not our finest performance uh, starting the first quarter. You know, scored 11 points. We had a major offensive issue tonight to start the game. So we got to correct it. We need other guys to step up. I'm not sure we had one guy step up offensively tonight. But we move forward, we move on, we got another one tomorrow night. So give Brooklyn credit. I thought they were great. They were fantastic. You know, really struggled offensively to score tonight. First and third quarter, an 11-point quarter and a 17-point quarter. That's not going to get it done most nights in an NBA game. So give Brooklyn credit. I think JB's right. You know, Brooklyn earned the win. They played well enough to get the victory. And I'm not sure if the Hornets shot their personal season average, if that would have made much of a difference. But it is alarming when you see 11 points go up on the board for a 12-minute segment of a game. Playing this team, and you look at the box score, I mean, it's 32-11 after the first quarter, and this is a team that, uh, yes, they are missing Kevin Durant, they are missing 
James Harden, but they do have a ton of other tremendous players. Kyrie Irving, LaMarcus Aldridge looks really good for them in his first appearance with the Nets. They had a couple big bench outings, too, from Landry Shamit and Tyler Johnson. So there's a reason why they're going to be in the NBA Finals, and it's not just for I should say a contender for the NBA Finals. And it's not just because of those big three guys. They got a really, really deep roster. And they did this on a night, too, where Joe Harris had kind of an off night. Jeff Green really stepped up. So the Nets got contributions from other guys across their roster when they were missing a couple of their big superstars, for sure. Almost made some news there, Sam, saying that you're uh, you're putting them straight <laughs> into the finals, huh? Well, they certainly look like it tonight. <laughs> they play like that, it's going to be tough tough to knock them out when they have Kevin Durant and James Harden back in the fold. I would agree. I think the only question for Brooklyn is how does everything mesh together and will they give themselves enough time to see if it all works because, you know, the, you look over their last 14 games. They've won, I think, 12 of their last 14 now. But only four games, including last night's win over the Hornets, were against teams that had better than 500 records. So, you know, certainly they've shown they can beat anyone in the NBA on any given night. But to win a seven-game series against Milwaukee or against Philadelphia, they're going to be tested in a way that the regular season just simply does not test these elite teams. It remains to be seen just how good they can get consistently to come up with those wins. But they were a great offense. 111 points, basically coasting through the fourth quarter. They took their foot off the gas early in this one, put in a lot of subs just to rest their starters. Devontae Graham talked after the game about just how well Brooklyn played. I mean, you always want to get out to a good start, obviously. They did a good job of coming out and punching us in the face first. So, I mean, then they just kept it rolling. So, uh, I mean, you got to give them credit, obviously. That's a good team over there, and, you know, we got to come out with more energy, uh, especially with them being on the back-to-back, but, you know, get them credit. I understand why fans' are initial reaction is bad on Twitter. This was the first opportunity to be on a national stage in a while for this team, and it was a dud. There's no getting around that. I don't think there's much there there to read more into this than they had a bad night against a good opponent and got beat soundly for it. I still think you have to go back to like January to find the last time the Hornets lost a game that everyone was in agreement they should have won, maybe even further back than that to the the first Memphis game at home where they were playing without John Morant and the Hornets uh, you know, had a dud in that game as well. But for the most part, the Hornets, when they have an opportunity to win games, they win them. When they're playing against tough opponents, they tend to be in the games. This just wasn't one of those nights. And and one last thought on that. Brooklyn, as great as they are, best team in the Eastern Conference, at one point this season they lost back-to-back games to Cleveland. I don't think anyone said, well, you know, trade everyone now because there's no way this will work. Every team in the NBA has nights like this. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the sport, and a lot of it is just how you respond to it, especially this season when there's so many games condensed together. I mean, you're going to have another opportunity tonight, and just to touch on what the thing you said, yeah, I get, I understand the disappointment. You have a TNT game. The team's been playing pretty well the last week, two weeks, and you go out on a national t- showcase and you want to play well against a big-time team like the Nets and just to kind of be out of it right from the start. I mean, it never got – once it, the league got over 20, it never got any close, and I don't think they really threatened the rest of the way. I understand the disappointment, but at the end of the day, this game counts just the same as tonight's game against Indiana – counts just the same as the game earlier this week against Washington. doesn't matter whether it's on this channel, that channel, TNT, ESPN. They all count the same. So I get I get the disappointment, but at the end of the day, it was just one of those nights, broadcast or not. So hopefully, you know, you bounce back and you pick up a win tonight against the Pacers. 
If anything, we know we need that Eric Collins magic. We need the Valley's crew yeah. back in the building. <laughs> I was very lonely inside Spectrum Center calling this one. As weird as it is being in a 20,000-seat arena with seven people, it's even weirder, Sam, when it's just you. So uh, we'll have the Valley's crew back tonight for the call of Hornets at Pacers, and we'll give you the preview of that one in a little bit. But coming up next, LaMelo Ball, another honor. He wins Rookie of the Month. Is this foreshadowing for him still having a shot at Rookie of the Year, despite there being uh, some question as to would he have played enough for some voters to give him the nod? We'll talk about that with Sam Purley as we roll along here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, be sure to download the Hornets app on your mobile device. The Hornets app is your access to all new features and exclusive content, including the new game day experience for every game this season. A two Sam's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Farber with Sam Purley, coordinator of digital media content for the Charlotte Hornets. And Sam LaMelo Ball racked up another Rookie of the Month honor. He wins it for the month of March. He takes it for the Eastern Conference, Anthony Edwards for the West. And I thought this was an interesting one because LaMelo, of course, did not play an awful lot in the month of March. He only played eight games. There was the All-Star break mixed in there a little bit as well. But basically, he played, let's say, 60% of available games that he could have for the Charlotte Hornets. And the big complaint we've heard as to why LaMelo maybe would not be eligible or not be considered by some voters for Rookie of the Year is that he would end up playing roughly 60% of the season. And in some people's estimations, that's not enough. And I understand and respect it. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But if you're going to use that barometer there, it would stand a reason it should come into play for conference honors monthly as well. And on this occasion, LaMelo Ball still gets the nod, despite the fact that players in the Eastern Conference like Sadiq Bey and Emmanuel Quickly did play in just about all their team's games over the month of March. So what do you read into it, if anything, LaMelo winning this award? Well, obviously, it's another huge accomplishment for him. Do it three. I think he was the second guy to lead off his rookie year with three straight, three chase times winning this award in franchise history. So, obviously, kudos to him. And it says something about what you're able to accomplish only playing in eight of the 12 or 13 games in the month. I think he had the 35 5 game. I think he snuck in right at the beginning of the month. That was obviously kind of the, the crown jewel of his resume this month. But, yeah, it seems like these rookie rules, they kind of they kind of go back and forth, up and down every day. Um, I think when you're looking at the player of the month, you're obviously looking at conferences and stuff. So I think out West, it's kind of a two-man race out there for this award right now with Edwards and, and Therese Halliburton, who's playing really well and has the Kings playing really well as well recently after he jumped into the starting lineup. And then the East is outside of LaMelo, I think, quickly and, they have been pretty good this year, but it's kind of been up and down. The Pistons certainly haven't had the best of seasons. So it is an interesting award, how people are going to interpret it at the end of the year. You know, you have 40-something great games. Is that better than having 70-something so-so games or above-average games? You know, it's kind of going to be open to interpretation. You certainly know where I'm leaving. I still think it's going to be LaMelo Ball, hopefully. But it's different this year. And, you know, if he finds a way to win the Rookie of the Month in April without playing a single game, that will, I think, certainly help his candidacy for Rookie of the Year. But that would take some, some certainly some magic. If anyone can do it, LaMelo can. But I would agree with you. I think that's outside the realm of possibility. You did mention that the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, obviously you're being considered within your own. And the Eastern Conference quite frankly, does not have another candidate that has really stepped forward to be considered 
for Rookie of the Year. If it were a conference-only award, maybe Sadiq Bey has accumulated enough stats, but they really pale in comparison to what LaMelo did and obviously LaMelo affecting winning a lot more than Sadiq Bey did. The fact that it is a league-wide award, though, it does, you know, if you're, if you're looking just from the perspective of you want LaMelo to win this, what Anthony Edwards is doing right now is impressive. Now, granted, in terms of efficiency, it is not close. He is nowhere near as efficient a player as LaMelo Ball was. But in terms of raw statistics, he averaged nine more points per game in the month of March than any other rookie did, just based off he scored over 300 points. No other rookie scored even 200. So he is starting to pull away in those fields, and because Minnesota is so bad, he's going to get a ton of shots. They're going to try and you know fast-track his development by giving him a lot of reps, put the ball in his hands a lot, and that's only going to help his statistics climb. So if you're looking at it purely from a you want LaMelo Ball to be Rookie of the Year, this is not a, well, you have to affect winning. Most rookies don't. Most rookies do not affect winning. They're lucky to get any playoff experience. Usually the Rookie of the Year is a great player putting up big numbers on bad teams, and that is exactly what Anthony Edwards is doing right now. Yeah, it is interesting, and that's one thing you kind of brought up, and maybe that's going to come into play more this year is – when you've got sort of like level resumes and playing fields, how much does impact winning come into play? Most of these top rookies are going to get drafted to teams that weren't good the year before. That's why those teams have top picks. Minnesota was not a very good team last year. That's why they had a top pick. Golden State, in a weird situation, they ended up getting that top pick. They're kind of hovering around the playoff spot, so they're kind of in a position where are we going to play James Wiseman? Are we not going to play James Wiseman as much? So it's really interesting because the rookies all go to kind of different situations and different locations, and it really impacts sort of the opportunity they have. You have, like you mentioned, someone like Anthony Edwards, who's got a team that is struggling to compete this year. They're kind of just going to give him a green light and just really, really get his usage up and, and see what he can do. So it is interesting just with all the rookies, you know, how are you going to value winning? Are you going to value playing time? Are you going to value minutes? I mean, is it a rookie's responsibility to be winning games and impacting? Like, we you know, do we hold them accountable like we do the MVP? So it's kind of all, I think, in the, the eye of the beholder and the voter, we, you know, what they value more. But certainly I think winning and team success could be a factor this year with the race kind of so level this year factoring in LaMelo's injury now. And I think this is a year where it could and maybe should be factored in more than normal because, again, most years the top two or three rookies are drafted to terrible teams. But I think there's less of an excuse for the guys who were picked in the top three this year to be on bad teams just because of how the draft shook out. Minnesota was bad, but... Carl Anthony Towns is another superstar. D'Angelo Russell is an all-star. That Minnesota team at its core is better than most teams when they pick number one. Usually you don't have another all-star, let alone two, to bring the rookie along with. Minnesota does. Golden State, similar situation. They got hit so hard with the injury bug the year before that they just hit rock bottom. Even without Klay Thompson, though, this year, you bring back Steph Curry, there, you know, there was a thought. Maybe with the right rookie and the right luck. I mean, obviously, before Clay Thompson's injury, this was more of a thought than than after. But the right rookie might help this team compete for a championship immediately. 
obviously wasn't meant to be. So I think there's more this year room to insist that the rookies should affect winning, which would play well to LaMelo Ball because clearly he's affected winning more than any other rookie has this year. But just over the history of the award, that doesn't factor in, and so I don't think it will this year. Honestly, as much as it pains me, I think... Anthony Edwards is going to start to pull away here just because of the amount of points he's putting on the board, and it tends to be a scoring-based award. But there's certainly you know, an opportunity if LaMelo Ball can come back to reclaim what should rightfully be his. Two other points, too. I think, let's not forget, these guys, all the rookie class, didn't have a summer league, had a very quick training camp after getting drafted. So it's going to take a while to find their role. They might not necessarily have been in the best position to acclimate. I mean, a lot of these guys are learning this on the fly this year. So it's been kind of maybe you're only seeing now rookies really start to adjust to their roles and things like that. And I think another thing you have to factor in this year is with the play-in tournament, there's a lot more teams now that think they can, or at least are in putting themselves in position to contend for one of those top 10 spots to at least get in the playoff ter- play-in tournament. Again, does that come at the expense of – developing rookies and younger players and not playing them as much possibly so you could see again that kind of fluctuates but that could also lead to giving guys you know tons of playing time and shots like anthony edwards or you could have a situation where teams hovering in the 10 11 range you know maybe like an atlanta hawks who hasn't played someone like a yako congo nearly as much top six pick because they're looking to get into the playoffs five. it's not really about developing so a lot of it is there's so many different situations, and a lot of it for rookies is about finding that role, finding that situation where you can develop at least at your own pace. It's just certainly been an overall very interesting year for the rookie class, for sure. We'll see how it all shakes out. LaMelo Ball, for the here and now, wins Rookie of the Month, his third straight honor. You know how much I love doing trivia with you, Sam, because I love being embarrassed by yeah. your wealth of knowledge beyond mine. But last time an Eastern Conference rookie Swept Rookie of the Month awards through March. Do you know who it is? Well, I already saw you tweeted today, so I know. You okay, answer. so you know it. It's, uh, <laughs> Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Kyrie Irving is the correct I might answer. I actually retweeted it too. It's very. It's a good poll by you. That was a good. That's very. I did not know that. I think I looked it up. The it's it's a short list. I think when he I wrote something when he swept the first or he took the first two. I didn't look after this one, but it's kind of a short list of guys that have won it for a whole year. It's only probably been about seven or eight in each conference. I think Luca did it. LeBron, guys like that. So obviously, again, it'll be tough for Lamelo if he doesn't play and able to sweep it, but it's certainly in, a, in good company, at least winning the first three to start the uh, his rookie season. Certainly. Certainly, yeah. As you mentioned, there have been some that have run the table. Luka Doncic did it a couple of years ago with the Mavericks. You had Damian Lillard did it in the Western Conference back in 2012-2013. Uh, been a while since an Eastern Conference player went wire to wire, so to speak, winning Rookie of the Month each and every month. The last one to do it, well, I would think you would know who it is, but let, let's Let's just see. Who's the last Eastern Conference rookie to win Rookie of the Month every single month all the way through the season? I guess. Is it LeBron? It is LeBron. I think I want to say another person in the list that we were just talking about. I think Carl Towns also did it, too, at one point. Swept the West in his rookie season. So it's good company to be in, for sure. Hopefully it ends with a uh, generally think think if you can get as, rack up as many of those Rookie of the Month awards that sort of leads to good things at the end of the year when it comes to that Rookie of the Year trophy. You would think. You would think. All right, Hornets have another game tonight. They're taking on the Indiana Pacers. It's time to get you ready for that one after this quick break here on the Hornets Ivecast. 
Buzz City, it's time to return to the Hive. There are a limited number of socially distanced tickets available for each game. Fans can expect enhanced cleaning and disinfection procedures and an upgraded ventilation system at Spectrum Center because the health and safety of the team, staff, and guests is the top priority at the Hive. Be there at Spectrum Center for a Sunday matinee April 11th when the Hornets host Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks at 1 p.m. Tickets on sale now at Hornets.com. Sam Farber and Sam Purley, coordinator of digital media content, here with you on the Hornets Hivecast, and it's another game day, a back-to-back, a difficult one. It's always difficult when you're traveling, especially, and the Hornets have had a, a couple of these in recent road trips. They had the one on the Western Conference road trip going from Denver to L.A. That was very difficult, didn't go very well on night two. Granted, they were playing the Lakers, and on this occasion, they've got to travel going into night two once again from Brooklyn into Indiana. It's a Pacers team that they've split the first two matchups so far on the season. So the tiebreaker is at stake. And it's a Pacers team that, while they're a bit buried on the totem pole, they started yesterday in ninth place. They were still less than three games out of the Hornets spot, fourth place. So a lot can change very rapidly. Pacers certainly aware of that. They'll be looking for the W. What are your thoughts, Sam, on this matchup tonight? Well, it's always tough for the Hornets and the good Indiana. This has been a tough place for them to play. Last two years, they've lost all four games there by an average of 24 points per game. So something about that banker's life field house has not been very friendly to them. But interesting stretch. Indiana started the year 11-7. and um, starting with their loss to the Hornets on January 29th in Charlotte, which I think was one of the Hornets' better wins of the year, a three-point win. They've gone 10-18. and 18. The scoring has really kind of dipped a little bit. Devonis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon are still kind of you know, having really good years. Sabonis ended up in the All-Star game. They're still kind of working Karis LeVert into the mix. They don't have T.J. Warren for the year now. I think they were hoping to get him back, and they never did. He's going to be out for the year. So their defense has been really good. They're always a very physical, very lengthy team. They have... They give opponents trouble scoring. They allow, I think it was something like, they're one of the league leaders in opposing three-pointers allowed per game, a three-point percentage or something. And they got really good perimeter defenders too, especially with TJ McConnell, I think is one of the tops in the league in steals. So defense is kind of getting them through right now. It's, it's kind of fallen off a little bit. And it's going to be a tough matchup, particularly with how the Hornets played in Brooklyn in terms of getting shots and scoring the basket. They're going to really need to take advantage and get some points going and start strong in this one. One wrinkle for this one for the Hornets is the potential injury bug that has bitten the Hornets. Again, Malik Monk went down to an ankle injury late in the loss last night in Brooklyn. Did not get much of a report on what his status would be, but let's just play it out. It's night two of a back-to-back. He ended up leaving the court in a wheelchair just to make it easier to get him into the back. Look, it's not a stretch to say, you know, just for the sake of argument, he might not play. Would mean the next man up situation. Brad Wanamaker after the game yesterday talking about potentially stepping into a greater role. Just try to make an impact. You know, it's it's sad uh, to see somebody go down, uh, especially with an injury. But, you know, just try to step up and, you know, fill in the holes and uh, try to help the team as much as possible. In short, this is why Brad Wanamaker was brought over. It, was, it wasn't to fill in specifically for LaMelo Ball, who had just recently gone down due to injury, but was taking into account, okay, we are now even thinner at the guard spot. If we lose anyone else, we have to have a backup to go to. And here Brad Wanamaker is ready for that spot. Yeah, and I thought he looked good against the Nets. I know it's kind of take it with a grain of salt because by the time he came in, the game was kind of out of hand. But nine points, three assists, three to five shooting, got to the line a couple times, and that's exactly what you would expect for someone like him. You're not 
and like you mentioned, you're not telling him to go in and play like Lamelo Ball or play like Malik Monk. Go in, run an offense, efficient, don't turn the ball over, get Devontae, get Terry some open looks, see if you can try and do a little three-guard lineup like you've been doing earlier in the season if Malik can't play. Well, I thought actually looked good against the Nets, too, so it's a shame that he's dealing with another injury. But mainly, I think, for the Hornets in terms of scoring and utilizing, they've got to start scoring points in the half court. I think sometimes I think they get it, and you saw this in Brooklyn, the first three quarters, I think they had two or three points off turnovers and off fast break. If you're not hitting shots, you got to find ways. you got to be able to score if you're not getting points in transition. I know the Hornets like to score on turnovers and transition and fast break points, but when you're not getting that, you got to find other outlets. And hopefully, you know, it's just kind of an anomaly, but just finding ways to score even when your bread and butter isn't the way you're doing it would be key tonight against the Pacers. Hornets have had some pretty good success on back-to-backs, but quite frankly, it's tended to come in situations where they won night one, at least, of the back-to-back. On occasions where they have lost night one of the back-to-back, they are one and three, by my count, on night two. So uh, maybe a snowball effect, maybe just that boost of energy that comes with having won an NBA game just isn't there to help them ride through the fatigue that certainly comes in any back-to-back situation. It's the beauty of the back-to-backs, at least in this case, you know, you're happy you get to go out and play another game, right, and kind of put that Nets one away, but you're also going into it just like, you know, you want to correct some of the stuff you did against the Nets game, but there just isn't a whole lot. I mean, I don't know if it's easier. It's kind of a conundrum how much you look at this Nets game and try and take something from it in terms of what you can do or how much you flush it and just like, let's just completely get rid of it. Let's not overthink it. Let's just get back to Hornets basketball and just doing what we do. And then you factor in some more injuries and what you do. So it's it's tough dynamic. It was interesting hearing JB kind of balance that thought process as he heads into this game tonight. Um, and then one other quick note, I thought it was interesting, Indiana 8-13 at home this year. They have not played well at home. I think they're actually above 500 on the road. I think they might be one of the worst teams at home in the league. So hopefully that'll play into the Hornets' advantage as well. Very interesting stat. Very interesting. Uh, Hornets now are 1-1 one one on this road trip. Obviously, it's a difficult six-game road trip with this back-to-back taking on Indiana, who we know is a quality team, even though the record's been bad. Same could be said about Boston. And then Milwaukee is just a really, really good squad. I don't know what your expectations were going into the road trip, Sam. I would presume not much has changed based off the first two results, but give us some insight. What are your thoughts on what you expect the Hornets to be when they finally return home and play in front of the fans again on Sunday the 11th? A long time ago when I first got into this, I've always heard, obviously you want to go out there and win every single game you can. That's kind of the goal. But in terms of kind of being realistic, I think if you win two-thirds of your games at home and you go 500 on the road, I think you find yourself in a pretty good position. And I think the way this season is so condensed and so challenging with COVID testing and the restrictions and jamming all the games together and back-to-backs and three and four nights and things like that, um, I think anytime you've got a road trip of five to six games, Going 500, I think, is a, is a good. Obviously, you want to win them all, but I think if you walked away from this road trip at three and three and head back home for a bunch of home games, I think you'd be pretty happy. So, right now, one and one. Hopefully, you pick up this one in Indiana. I forget who's Boston, Oklahoma City, Milwaukee. I forget the other. I think that's it, right? That's that six. So, you got them. So yeah, we'll see. So one game at a time and. One and one thus far. We'll see how it all shakes out. Sam Purley, coordinator of digital media content for the Charlotte Hornets. Make sure to read all of his fantastic work on Hornets.com. Sam, thanks for joining us again here on the Hornets Hivecast. Yep, thank you for having me.
And thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. A reminder, we'll have another post-game Hivecast for you tomorrow, giving you all the details from the game tonight against the Indiana Pacers. Till then, for everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you with us today on the Hornets Hivecast and in the words of LaMelo Ball. Thank you. Have a good day. Wear your mask. Thanks for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.